Hi, welcome to our podcast. We are public policy and management students from Universitas Gajah Mada in Yogyakarta, Indonesia. And now we are going to talk about reformation in public sector, to be specific, in the healthcare sector of Indonesia. But before we start the conversation, we would like to introduce ourselves. I'm Jason Axelino, who also will be the moderator here. Hi, my name is Nadia Bigayo. Hello, I'm Farhan Ghazi. Hi, I am Reza Azra. Hi, I am Zara Dusral Farazi. Yeah, so to start the conversation, I will give it to Sarah Trustra. Alright, first of all, I would like to tell the story of decentralization in Indonesian public management. In the last two decades, Indonesia had gone through some major reforms in its governmental system and decentralization has become an example. The reformation heavily influenced how the public management works and furthermore, affected important sectors in governmental system and public health has become one of it. Since around 1999, governmental system decentralization had begun and continued to work until now. The shift of governmental system, which also influenced the public health sector, equipped the district level government with a larger authority to adjust their work priorities and manage their budget allocation based on each local context. Uh, is there any challenge in the beginning of decentralization? I can imagine it must be a bit chaotic, especially after 32 years of the New Order administration led by President Suharto. Yeah, in the beginning of the shift, there was no strong coordination between the central government and the district government. Before, government in the district level was obliged to bow down on a centralized reporting system. However, after the decentralization, district government was no longer obliged to report their services performance regularly. Well, as a result, there was a fracture line between the national and district government. Wait, wait, what do you mean about the fracture between the national and district government? In this context, the Ministry of Health, a government institution in the central level, can no longer control the action taken by local government in public health sector. There was no coordination to ensure the services run as it is. To make things worse, because of the sudden rapid decentralization, there were lots of newly formed districts which cannot accomplish their responsibility due to the limitation in their capability and deficiency in related skills. Well, the legacy from the centralized system still remains because the centralized system was implemented for such a long time. At the time, there were no people who fully understand the quality and operational standard in the district level. And in addition to that, There was no coherent database, which made strategic planning very complicated. Oh, is that the only problem? Well, researchers led by Trisnan Toro wrote in their findings in 2009, added that electoral interest often complicates how the public health services work because there were a lot of political figures who promised free healthcare costs. despite there were not enough human resources or governmental budget. Several years after the period, 
Even the national government still struggling to afford the mandate of Article 171 of Health Act Number no. 26, Year 2009, which require at least 5% of the national budget allocated specifically for the health sector. Yeah, consequently, there was a major deficiency in health budget for the district government. Hmm. Now I realize how the healthcare sector cannot be separated from political maneuvers. Yeah, to sum it up, often the director position of regional or district health offices were given to the strong supporters of the political candidate as a part of payback politics. Although, the person who was appointed did not have sufficient capability like managerial and financial skill. Um, how about financial management? You said before that Indonesia at that time still struggling in fulfilling the healthcare budget. Besides human-related problems, financial management also become an obstacle in achieving better quality of public health services in Indonesia. Often, the budget from the central government were coming late caused by the inefficiency in the planning process due to the incredibly slow bureaucratic process. with lots of administrative burden. Is there any comparison of decentralization in the healthcare system in another country? Hmm, it reminds me of the case of the public health sector in South Korea. There, the public health policies and programs remain centralized, with the Ministry of Health being the one in charge for the policy making and the implementation. The regional government then will implement the national public health program and adjust it with the local situation of the regions. Complete database of the information system is also provided by the central government to service and equal comprehensive information for the governments in regional level. The main financing source is also centralized. But the local government has the freedom to decide on how they will allocate the revenue for the health of their residents. Oh, okay. Uh, when we speak about the healthcare, or often people also talk about the universal health coverage, then how Indonesia could serve the people with sufficient universal health coverage without sufficient fundings? Okay, so now I am the one who will continue to tell the story. Certainly, good health has become one of sustainable development goals proposed by the World Bank. And achieving universal health coverage, or UHC, is included among the long-term goals. Thanks to continuous development in the governmental managerial system, the healthcare system of the nation is getting better and better each year. To answer your question, the government of Indonesia had launched national health insurance program or program jaminan kesehatan nasional since 2013 before there were lots of similar programs which were run also by the government like askes and jamkesmas with their own specific target based on the participants occupation and economic status however to simplify those entity in order to increase efficiency the government formed social security administrator or Badan Penyelenggara Jaminan Sosial as the single executor of the nationwide health insurance program since 2014. Oh, okay. So, how is the concept of this BPJS thing? 
Well, the concept of this universal health insurance managed by the government was based on the concept of mutual assistance or gotong royong in Indonesia, where all Indonesians and even foreigners who stay more than six months are required to participate in this program. This universal healthcare program is considered as the biggest in the world. Wow, we should be proud. The root identity of our nation is adopted to ensure equality in healthcare services. Indeed, every participant needs to pay monthly premium so the participants who are not sick are giving contribution and help the participants who are sick in indirect way. By paying premiums, it will lighten the burden of the state budget in the health sector. For the poor who cannot afford the monthly payment, the monthly premium is covered by the local governmental budget. As a comparison, South Korea also did the same move by merging their health insurance system to a single executor body. They did that since the 2000 to increase the efficiency of risk pooling, improve equity among the contributors, and minimize administrative cost. Okay, I want to add a bit about the health sector reform in South Korea. Arguably, South Korea has achieved its turmoil in health sector reformation faster than Indonesia. In 12 years, South Korea has successfully transitioned from health insurance funded by the private sector, which is now fully funded and managed by the government. Even since 1977, the government already instructed the obligation of every employer to provide National Health Insurance, or NHI, for their employees. South Korea has also faced several problems before, such as a deficit in 1996. The first reason why South Korea is experiencing this is that the doctors who work there generally have more than one specialist degree and they occupied nearly 80% of the whole doctors available. So it became a huge burden because of the overpriced doctors. As a response, the government set a limit of how much those doctors can charge for each medical procedure. I see. Back to Indonesia, the government targeted that in 2019, all of the citizens of Indonesia have been registered as the participants of this program. But the program only successfully reached roughly 82% of Indonesians at the end of 2020. Although several years BPJS Kesehatan faced deficit and failed to pay the health facilities for their services caused by the irresponsible participants who didn't pay the premium consistently, in 2020 BPJS Kesehatan finally got 18.74 trillion rupiah surplus. Finally, they succeed to pay all the health services provided. However, through 2017 to 2019, the BPK or the Audit Board of the Republic of Indonesia found that BPJS Kesehatan still has the challenges to prevent duplicated data regarding the participants or the medical services being performed. Those data duplications certainly caused additional burden in the financial expenditure. Data validation is the key here. I think I have talked a lot here. Have you heard my story and how does uh, those reforms affected the managerial approach in the governmental administrative unit, Nadia? Okay, so in Indonesia itself, it has become apparent that the traditional public management is not sufficient anymore to be applied in the organizations including health sector organization, especially in terms of the financial management. 
through the Act Number no. 1, 2004 of the National Treasury, the government agencies are opened up for a new way in implementing the performance-based system. The Articles number no. 68 and 69 mention about the public service agencies named Badan Layanan Umum or BLU with the role to serve the public. BLU will have more flexibility and independence in planning and managing the financial system that focuses on productivity, efficiency, and effectiveness. Many of the state hospitals have transformed themselves into BLU or BLUD, which refers to the one that is located in local government after the regulation was enacted because it will allow them to have larger authority and responsibility to plan for and to fund for hospital development activities. The Bell implementation in the state hospitals started to increase Indonesia health sector capacity and accountability because one of the qualifications for the hospitals is to apply the minimum service standard for the patient. Moreover, the flexibility also indicates that the hospital now have more freedom in creating innovations and responding quickly to the patient's needs, which will improve the quality of the public health service in the country. Here, the role of local government in giving its support to the institutions that wish to become Belude is very important. The local government will produce the policies and procedures for Belude according to their areas to allow their flexibility. Mm, is that the only managerial impact? The decentralization also contributes to the managerial approach through the Belude program. It allows the local government to be more independent in designing the local needs and capacity which will improve the good governance and its accountability. In the future, for better and equal quality in public health service for all people in Indonesia, the central government has to give more attention to the interregional disparities, especially due to the geographical factors as well as the application of the universal health coverage system, the urgency for a reliable and integrated information system to support planning and decision-making will be more important. How about the universal health coverage managerial system? Um, regarding to the universal health coverage program in Indonesia, on the initial steps, some of the implementation aspects are still lacking such as lack of coordination or lack of monitoring capacity, among others. Then, to avoid unintended actions like fraud in the implementation of universal health uh, program, the Ministry of Health collaborates with the district health officers by issuing local regulations and forming the fraud prevention teams. This is the effort to guarantee accountability and transparency, also good practices of the UHC program. I heard that you also read a lot of articles regarding the reformation of universal health coverage system in South Korea. Could you please elaborate it more? Of course. So, in comparison with South Korea, the focus on the reformation is mainly on the increase of transparency and accountability. The technical as well as the managerial approach have been taken to increase the transparency. First, strengthening the oversight function of the National Assembly in the formulation and implementation of governmental health policy. Second, the annual audits of the National Assembly cover all governmental health activities in order to enhance the proactive role in the legislative process. Third, include the participation of civil society organizations in monitoring and evaluating the performance of the government in health-related things. Moreover, the collaboration with the private sector also alleviates the burden of the government. 
thus increasing the efficiency and also effectiveness in the governmental health units at all levels. Are there any other sectors in the South Korea healthcare reformation which Indonesia can adopt? Okay, so I will help you. In the case of a disaster, South Korea also has a good contingency plan. The Infectious Disease Emergency Management Goal is to establish prevention and preparedness plans against an infectious disease crisis and respond promptly. To minimize emergencies, the KMHW updates and adopts South Korea Infectious Disease Plan every five years. Capacity building and performance measures are essential in this planning. Based on this national plan, local government have their own execution plan for managing infectious diseases and coordinating with the national government. The second master plan for the prevention and control of infectious disease in 2018 and 2022 emphasized the One Health Approach, Emergency Response System, and Intergovernmental Cooperation. In addition, the KMHW and KCDC apply the lesson learned from the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome or MERS outbreak in 2015 and 2018 by upgrading the standard operating procedure for emerging infectious disease and clarifying the roles and responsibility of governmental units. Also, Open and good communication with the public has been their focus. In 2017, after the 2015 MERS outbreak, South Korea implemented a standard operating procedure for risk communication in public health emergencies, incorporating the risk communication protocol of the WHO and CDC. Based on the procedure, which underscore five principles be right be first build trust express empathy and promote action the kcdc held twice daily press briefing about the coronavirus emergency management beginning in january 30 2020 when south korea had four confirmed coronavirus cases Reporters were also allowed to ask questions related to the government action and government hotline numbers, website, and social media were almost immediately updated information 24-7. These great communication strategies led to the public to be encouraged in voluntary public compliance and enhanced the policy legitimacy of the South Korean administration. Wow, that was a good explanation. I think now we need to move to Gazi, so he can explain his findings toward the relationship between the government and public after those reforms were imposed. Okay, now I will share my finding in Indonesia first, then I will compare it with what happened in South Korea. In Indonesia, the evaluation of patients' experience is conducted inconsistently and little information is available. Individual providers, especially in the private sector, sometimes conduct patient satisfaction surveys. Private providers maintain institutional complaint register and complement mechanism. Some, but not every district, who also maintain registers of complaints about public services. In the 2007 IFLS Key Informant Survey, 
almost 90% of the respondents indicated that general health services were adequate or somewhat adequate in their village and or town. Less than 10% responded not adequate or far from adequate. Over 70% of the same key informant respondents say that the state of health services was better or much better compared with 2000. About 10% said health services were worse or much worse compared with 2000 in their village or town. I am glad to hear that the Indonesians felt the general health services provided by the government were much better compared to 2000. But how was the satisfaction of the public towards JKN program run by BPJS Kesehatan? According to the Participant Satisfactory Index of BPJS Kesehatan, which was reported by Myriad Research Committed as an independent survey institute, 81% of BPJS participants were satisfied with the system and the services just after year after BPJS Kesehatan was formed. It surpasses the target satisfactory index from the government which was 75%. Regarding the brand awareness of BPJS Kesehatan, 95% of the respondents think they are understood who BPJS Kesehatan and its program is. From this indicator, we can see and conclude that the government effort in socializing JKN and BPJS Kesehatan has achieved positive feedback from the people. Alright, I am waiting for your explanation about South Korean response towards their government healthcare program. In South Korea, in a 2011 Ministry of Health and Welfare survey, 63.9% of respondents reported being satisfied with overall health system performance. Public dissatisfaction was highest on accessibility and costs of healthcare, unmet need for critical illness due to costs economic vulnerability due to catastrophic health expenditure, availability of objective and comparative healthcare quality measures, access to emergency medical care and intensive care, and limited or delayed coverage of some high-cost pharmaceuticals and procedures in the National Health Insurance or NHI benefit package. The main determinants of their dissatisfaction were indicated as NHI benefit coverage and quality of healthcare. In contrast, less attention was paid to factors such as geographical accessibility to healthcare providers, amenity of healthcare facilities, waiting time for surgical intervention and inpatient care, and double OP payment for common and frequent health conditions. According to the 2012 social survey, services provided by the public health centers earned the highest level of satisfaction of 64.3 of any provider, public or private. For general hospitals, 83% of respondents were satisfied and 13.3% were dissatisfied. Pharmacies were assessed as satisfactory by only 28.3% of respondents. Because of dissatisfaction were the highest cost of healthcare 27.6%, poor outcomes 19.4%, long waiting lists 17.7%, and poor responsiveness of provider 11.5%. Ensuring the confidentiality of personal health information has been one of the major public concerns. 
as the NHI has developed a universal information system to encompass every detail of all providers' practices, including examination and laboratory tests and healthcare utilization with individual identification of all citizens, various legal, administrative, and inform and technical regulation are applied. Personal health information is protected by the Personal Information Protection Act enacted in 2012, in addition to the pre-existing law of information protection of the government and public institution. Wow, I just realized how the South Korean government protects the confidentiality of its people's personal health information. I think now, there is no big concern from a majority of Indonesians regarding their health record confidentiality, but I hope the government of Indonesia see and able to handle it seriously. Okay, so now it's my turn. I will judge here whether the reformation in the healthcare sector, particularly in Indonesia, is considered a success or a failure. In short, I think Indonesia had successfully implemented its reform, despite the financial setback in 1997 during the monetary crisis. The existence of unemployment and poverty here and there, Indonesia still run the reform although it may be slower. Due to the financial crisis and political instability in the beginning of the process, the reformation takes more time and efforts. Yet, during the last two decades, Indonesia has achieved a lot of positive development in the healthcare sector. Although it wasn't as fast as South Korea, at the end, the people of Indonesia also mostly satisfied with the reformation, as shown in the research provided before. I will also add a bit in this part. So, a main a study that was conducted by the Ministry of Home Affairs has shown that the implementation of BLUD in Java is better than outside of Java. There are several identified challengers that might be the cause. First and foremost, the availability of suppliers including health workforces tends to be more concentrated in Java. A case in point is specialist doctor. After decentralization, district or municipalities with high fiscal capacity and population with greater financial capacity attract private healthcare providers, and some argue that it has a positive association with specialist availability in that district or municipality. Thus, hospital in district and municipality in Java can easily recruit more specialists and innovate in opening new types of care and services relative to those outside Java. So, the distribution of health experts must be carried out more evenly in the future. Well, it is highly understandable that Indonesia needs a longer time due to the disparity in human resource qualities and the presence of other problems like wide geographical span and lack of sufficient infrastructure which add the challenges even more. But given the present challenges, to achieve this kind of result has been a massive success for the government. Okay, just a bit before we close this conversation, you already read a lot about South Korea healthcare reformation before. In the latest context, the pandemic, how do they act? What differentiate their action with Indonesia? Okay, so it has been more than a year that both countries have been hit by COVID-19, but the outcomes of both countries are drastically different. 
South Korea, refueled their recent active cases, has successfully controlled the pandemic, and Indonesia still cannot control the transmission of the disease. In South Korea, the government there committed to reduce the number of patients who were confirmed to have tested positive for COVID-19 every day. The South Korean government managed to suppress it with the lockdown procedure in the early days when South Korea found people who were tested positive of the coronavirus. The residents there obeyed all the protocols imposed by the government. In addition to that, the South Korean government was able to track their people directly to trace the transmission easily. They did that by using big data analytics. After the disease transmission can be controlled by the government, the industries like restaurants and daily business began to open with strict health protocol. Meanwhile, in Indonesia, as reported by the conversation, the governmental leaders both in national and regional level do not have common vision in achieving the disease controllability. From the beginning of the pandemic, the government of Indonesia implements a strategy that does not have a clear direction, like when the government implemented large-scale social restriction or PSBB, then micro-PSBB and several other programs, but they do not have clear measurable standards for the implementation of these programs. As a result, the people of Indonesia feel bored, ignoring health protocols, and doubting the seriousness of the government in dealing with this outbreak. Do you think the not yet controllable transmission in Indonesia is a result of the healthcare system which lacks in quality and capability? Even though it may contribute in reducing the death rate, I think the capability of the healthcare sector is not the primary factor here. If people are not hugely transmitted, then it would not become a burden towards the healthcare facilities. So, I would argue that massive difference of the pandemic outcomes from Indonesia and South Korea was primarily determined not by the capability of the healthcare sector, but the clarity of government's policy direction and reasonings. Okay, so, such a nice conversation, guys. From this discussion, we already observed the healthcare sector reformation in Indonesia and compared it to the similar reformation being done by the South Korean government. We also identified the contributing factors towards the effectivity of the reformation, so how the public responded, and lastly, we briefly discussed about the pandemic handling in both countries. I think that's it for now, and see you when I see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.